<laughs> Thank you. Um, so, good morning, Grace, Ch- Grace City Church, Ottawa. Um, I say that because it's very exciting for me even to be able to say that. I think um, as one of the leaders in Brighton, um, we've been praying for this church and for this church even to be here for a, for a number of years, even before uh, Rich and Natalia actually walked into this city. And so to actually feel like you're standing in something that you've been praying for and asking God for is, is always very exciting. And so excuse me if I get a little bit excited, because I am. So um, as I said, um, yeah, it also is fairly crazy when I hear someone introduce me like a senior leader or a great pastor for, um, for me to go, is he talking about me? Because um, I'll share a little bit of my story, but for me, even the fact that I'm standing here is just crazy. And if it wasn't um, for Jesus, if it wasn't for Jesus grabbing hold of my life, I, I, it just, it just, it just, it's remarkable that I'm in where I am. It's also remarkable that I have a beautiful wife called Jane, um, far more beautiful than I deserve. Um, you've just got to imagine this really beautiful woman that wouldn't normally be with me, and you'll realise why I, I love the grace of God. Um, I also love that. Um, Despite not being able to have children early on in our marriage, uh, um, we now have four children. So, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. And the child, that, the first child that we had, that was to us a miracle, is now 16 this Wednesday. So I'm, I'm hoping to get home so I get to celebrate her birthday on Wednesday. So uh, I, 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 I am a guy who definitely knows the grace of God in my life, and I'm very, very thankful for it. Um, what I'm planning to do this morning. Um, Interesting, I watched a video uh, about four or five weeks ago, knowing I was coming here, and I thought, I felt God say, I want you to, I want you to speak on that, and I want you to show that to, to Grace City. So that's what I'm going to do. But firstly, I think what I'll do is to give the video context, so I'm going to share a little bit of my story, so you get to know who I am a little bit, um, and why I'm saying it's by the grace of God. I think, um, I think I'm going to show you this video, which will give you a sense of what I get very excited about, which is God's story. Um, God's story over history and over our lives. And then, um, because of the video as well, I, I want us to just look at the life of Thomas. Um, sometimes called Doubting Thomas or Thomas the Skeptic. Which um, I hope by the end of this you'll realise is a little bit unfair. Okay, a little bit unfair that he's left history with that name. Because I, I want you to actually understand a little bit about Thomas. And actually Thomas turns out to be an incredible man of faith, actually. So I want to... I want to talk a little bit about how did God take this guy who was so doubting, so sceptical, and make him a mighty man of God. And actually, if he can do that with Thomas, he can do that with us. So that, my hope at the end is, um, as in Thomas' story, he met with Jesus, and he met with the wounds of Jesus. My hope is, the very easy way of applying this word today, is that we're going to break bread and wine, which is us coming again to the wounds of Jesus and remembering who we are and who he is. So that's where we're going. Everyone happy with that? Everyone good? Great, that's, that's brilliant. So that's where we're going. So just to say a little bit of my story, I think, um, I, think I grew up in England, um, actually in a place called Bognor Regis, which you would not know, but it's, it's like, it is like the Nazareth of the Bible. It's like nothing ever good comes out of Bognor Regis. It's a sad town. It's a seaside town. It has a pier, which every year people jump off. Um, flying, it's a Birdman thing, but actually they're just jumping off it. It's just a crazy town. Uh, it's the most exciting thing that happens in that town, so that just shows you where it is. Uh, I remember an elder of our church when I first joined church saying nothing can, good could come out of Bognor Regis. It's got that reputation. And I stood up and said, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you very much. So um, I'm happy to be heckled this morning as well, if that's what you feel like doing. Um, 
But to say I grew up in a like a middle class family, just normal family, and um, uh, as is the way in England, and maybe as is in Canada as well, they sent me to Sunday school, they sent me to church, they didn't go themselves, but they just felt it was good for me to go and be godly. Um, and in that process, I, um, I did my confirmation class, I, uh, I read a book and got it right, and so got to take communion, so I took communion, and, uh, but then when my family moved, um, I was about eight or nine, they didn't really push us to go to church, and so we just stopped going, just like most people, I suppose, you do a bit of church, and then life comes in and you change, and for my family, that's what happened. And I suppose I, I didn't really miss that, I didn't need God. Life was okay. Um, there was a point in my life, though, where um, actually I really did need to know God. I was about 13. I was um, doing some very basic maths, which crazy had got to 13. But I realised that I, my parents were married. Um, I was one when my parents got married. And I suddenly realised, oh, that's an interesting thing. So I spoke to my mum. I said, Mum, how's that happen? And she said, well, you know, your dad wasn't your dad. Um, your first, your birth father left me when I was pregnant. I was like, what? She said, you know this, we talked to you. I was like, no, that was a massive shock for me. Well, what that meant for me, actually, was um, at the time I was experiencing a lot of bullying in school, um, feeling very disconnected. My dad had actually got depression, he was a school teacher, so I was very disconnected with him already. But when I heard this news, it suddenly, oh, that all makes sense. He doesn't love me, I'm not his. Actually, he loves my sister because she's his. I'm, I'm, I'm the one who's the oddball in this family. And because I didn't talk to anyone, I didn't talk to my dad, and I left the discussion there with mum, I was like in shock, really, I think. I just, I suppose what actually happened was I emotionally detached myself from my family. I was physically present. But emotionally, increasingly, as I just try to process everything, I just saw situations like, well, Dad doesn't want to spend time with me, Dad isn't interested in me, and became increasingly that he just doesn't love me. And I even stopped going on holidays with the family. Again, it wasn't like a decision, but I stopped living with my family. I went on sports holidays, and I just became more and more detached, and I just withdrew from that family. And interesting, I think, when I felt hurt or... I felt like I was not understood in a community. Again, I felt that was a pattern in my life. I would just withdraw. I would just move back. Um, I think um, into that mix as well, just to say, um, I came across a, a, a top shelf magazine, quite a hardcore pornography magazine. And that actually was the most horrible thing, really, because what that came to me was a sense of excitement and life, and so that when I felt really lonely or felt like I was failing or feeling really rejected, I would turn to that image, and when I was old enough, actually, I would try and get hold of magazines and comfort myself whenever I felt that emotional pain. So not just withdrawing, but withdrawing to something that was incredibly negative and had a very negative effect on me, particularly and how I felt about myself. So I actually felt like I deserved rejection as well. So it just increased my isolation. And I, I became a nurse. I was around loads of young women, desperately insecure, desperately lonely, hitting a lot of pressure. I, I chose a nursing career where I was at Great Ormond Street, where it was very high pressure, lots of very sick children, lots of seeing lots of children die, and it just real, again, lots of emotion. And again, I was stuck in this sort of just emotional world and turmoil. And I think, obviously, still reeling with the fact that my dad didn't love me and that I'd lived a lie and all these things. And it is into that world 
that God broke in. You know, I was trying to be the nice guy. I was trying to, I did a lot of sports and trying to kind of prove myself, but none of it was right. It was just getting worse and worse and worse. And it was into that mess that God came. Into these deep wounds that Jesus came into my life. And I I just want to show this video because Jesus did that in my life, but I know actually Jesus does that in all lives. And I've just got a video that sort of summarises how God deals with wounds and how God deals with us. So I'd love to just play that video now. get emotional when I watch that anyway so that's uh, that there is the gospel that is the amazing gospel that we have a God who knows our pain knows our wounds knows our difficulties and breaks in comes to us but not only comes to us and say just sympathizes but actually 
takes responsibility for the wounds that were done to us and the wounds that we have caused for ourselves. He takes full responsibility for them and heals them. And I just, I wanted to bring Thomas's story into that context. I want you to understand Thomas in the light of this story. Because, again, it's actually been really a pleasure for me just to get into Thomas's life. There's not a lot actually about Thomas. He only comes into the Bible three times. And um, we don't know a lot about him. Um, interesting, the first time we find Thomas, he's not doubting Thomas. He's crazy Thomas. He's courageous Thomas. Um, we don't know how he got called. All we know is he was called. Jesus definitely called him into his company, into his friendship. He's hanging out with Jesus. And so he knows Jesus. Um, and in John 11, 12, 16, we just see a little glimpse of Thomas's life in this moment when he was around Jesus. It says, The disciples said to him, Look, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. They're talking about Lazarus here. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, just to put this in context, this next sentence, the disciples knew that Jesus already had been threatened, um, that people had tried to kill him. He'd just escaped um, a, a stoning and a, and a punishment. So the, the disciples were all pretty nervous about him going out on the streets. They were care- They're like, Jesus, don't do this. We can't go anywhere. We, we, they, they were sort of, again, withdrawn from the world and they're in, just enclaved in here. And yet Jesus said, no, I need to go to my friend because he, he's dead. And we know he wants them to believe that Jesus conquers death and wants to bring people alive. Whatever their death is, he wants to bring them alive. He wants to show them something. And into this craziness where all, most of the disciples here are going, no, don't do this. Thomas suddenly jumps into our life and into our picture and says, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now that isn't a doubting man, is it? That is a man who says... I want to go with you, even to death. That somehow, something of what he'd known of Jesus, the things he'd said him, hear him say, the things he'd seen him do, the way he treated people, he clearly got Jesus and said, you are the very thing. And do you know what? I think most of us, when we fully first come to know Jesus, when we first see a glimpse of him, we're like, wow, Jesus was amazing. He was so other. He was not like any man, like any human that ever existed. And I want to know him. And when that moment of revelation comes, of when we fully see who Jesus truly is, and we invite him into our lives, many of us, and particularly that was true for me, we just want to do anything for him. I mean, I remember when I became a Christian, I had a massive supernatural experience. And I came home, and I... I, 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 to some of the church leaders, I mean, they must have thought I was bonkers. Well, I, I was most of the time. But I said to them, I, I think we need to gather at the whole city and march for Jesus so that the whole city would know how amazing Jesus That was in my heart. I was like, let's just do it. And I don't care what people think. Let's, let's stand for Jesus. I was, let's do it. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I want to die for him. You know, that sort of sense. That's what I was for. And yet, although I said that, you know, the first time. As I said, my way of dealing with life was to please people, to be the good guy. The first time, 
you know, so for a season I was very quick to tell people about Jesus. But when I came into a new community and I had my reputation being, I suddenly realised telling someone about Jesus could affect my relationship, my friendships. And it was amazing, at that point, I wasn't being threatened with death there. I had to die to what people thought of me, but even that cost was too much. It was just too much. And it's interesting with Thomas, that when the opportunity to die for him comes, so when Jesus actually went to death, he and actually all the disciples were not there. The sense of the fear of death was too much. Even though many of them, even Peter, we love Peter's story, he too, no. I'll die for you, I'll kill, I'll go for it. In the very moment, it was too much. And do you know what Jesus, bless him, he knew. He'd say things to Peter like, don't say that. Don't say it, Peter. Don't. Because he knew him. He knew what the cost was. And actually he knew that he was the only one who was willing to die for his friends. He was the only one to really go to the cross and pay that death. And Thomas was just like none of the others. He was just like all the other disciples. And he's just like us. The thing is, we don't actually know what Jesus, what the cost of following Jesus will be. When we see him, we're like, yes. But there are times that faith gets tested. We have to die to some things. And sometimes we're like, I'm not willing to pay that price. Does he still love us? Yep. Does he still come after us? Yes. Does he have, give us another go? Yes. And again and again. And I'm a man who's known him for 25 years. I'm still having to test. I, I still fail the test a lot of the time. That's why I said I know his grace. But he will test it. And Thomas gets tested. It's funny as well, because every time we get tested, it's funny how in our human nature, because we fail a test, we think God fails the test. He was wrong to test us. So we get a bit lethargic with this whole thing. We get a bit fed up with God. That why don't you just give me an easy life? You know, well, I'm, I'm, this Christian thing's too hard. And I'll, I remember a little story. It's... Um, I've really thrown this because I find it funny, but there's a comedian called Eddie Izzard, and um, he talks about dogs and their owners and how dogs play fetch. But he, he, he just explains this whole scenario with a dog from the dog's point of view. So you, you've got a dog like us who just want to be a willing servant to God. So we see a stick and we think, oh, my master would like that stick. So we take the stick to our master and we give him the stick. And when we give him the stick, what does our master do? He throws the stick away. And you're like, did you, I just found that stick for you. I've got it in the mud, I actually have got my mouth in the mud, I'll give you the stick. And you've, you've thrown it. All right, okay, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it for you. You don't deserve it, I'm going to get it. Go off, get the stick. Brings the stick back. What are you doing? I'm just giving you the stick. It's a gift. All right, one more time. So he goes off, gets the stick. But this time he's a little bit wise. He gives him the stick. The owner gets the stick, but he just starts pulling on it. Like, you're going to throw it this time. And the master's pulling the stick. And he's like, all right, I'll give it you. Right, that's it. No more stick. But actually, do you get me? We can get a little bit with God. Are you really asking me to do that again? Do I really need to go through that thing? I gave you this, and you seem to be giving it back. Or I I have this precious thing you've given me now, this peace, this comfort, but you want me to give it away to someone else. 
You want me to become uncomfortable. You want me to get difficult. You want to put me in a place that I'm not happy with. And we just think, I'm not sure anymore. And what do we do with that? Well, we have to sort of withdraw from the Master. And we find Thomas in this next scripture. It's difficult to know exactly what's going on, but in John 20 it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So where are the disciples again? Jesus has now died. Life's getting tough. What do the disciples do? They withdraw to behind a locked door. This is Jesus' disciples who he is saying, Go out into all the nations, baptizing, discipling. But for fear, they're in locked doors again. But interestingly, when Jesus came and stood among them, he said, Peace be with you. Be at peace, guys. Don't be at fear. Be at peace. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they had seen the Lord. It is Jesus. He's alive. That's our peace. So you haven't left us. You haven't abandoned us. You've actually done what he told them he was going to do, which he's come back. And he's now with them. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any that are forgiven, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So what Jesus is doing there, he's coming into all their fear, they run away, but he comes to them and blows with them the Holy Spirit. Again, as believers, we can come to know Jesus, but again, a wonderful thing is we can know the Holy Spirit. This Spirit of God that within us compels us to do the things of God. It also equips us to be like Jesus. Jesus was a man, a normal man, completely filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that he was able to see miracles, he was able to have courage, he was even able to go to the cross. That same Holy Spirit that came on him and enabled him to be powerful is the Spirit that Jesus breathed on the disciples and in fact has breathed on everyone who knows him. You can be breathed on by the Holy Spirit and be given courage even when you fear, even when you're locked up and I can't go out anymore, I can't do this Christian thing, at that point you can say, Jesus, just come and breathe on me. Holy Spirit, come and help me. We can't do without him, but interesting here, it says, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Where's Thomas? Where's he gone? Thomas, seemingly, he wasn't looking for the risen Christ. He wasn't looking to be with the disciples either. He's on his own. He'd made a decision. Maybe he'd done what I have done. He'd withdrawn. But not behind with others, but just to himself. Yet, God wanted him. God wanted him to be an apostle, actually. We know that, because we know the end of the story. It's great. Thomas didn't know that. And he wanted him to be one of the sent ones that would declare the greatness of Jesus and his new kingdom of peace, hope, and love. But this is the one who was full of doubt, as we will find, full of fear. Maybe desperation. He was definitely feeling very weak, I'd imagine. But Jesus said, I want this one. I want this one right now with all his scepticism, all his doubt. I want him. 
So much so that when the disciples gathered again, and I don't know why Thomas is there, maybe the disciples said, Thomas, just you need to be with us. Jesus is alive. He was, you can imagine, no, no, he's not. You're, you're just, it's a load of rubbish. He's gone. It's all hopeless. No, he's alive. He's alive. But he wouldn't believe the believers. He wouldn't believe that they'd seen the risen Christ. I can't, I just can't believe it. But somehow, whether it was the disciples or whether God himself, just by his Holy Spirit said, Thomas woke up and I just need to go back. Whatever it was, he's in the room. And as soon as he's in the room, Jesus is there. By the very nature of just coming in a door. Like some of you this morning, maybe you just thought, should I come today? I feel like locking the door. But you didn't. You came through this door. And maybe it's because someone here invited you, or maybe the Holy Spirit is working your life. He's saying, I want to know you. Why don't you come through this door? Why don't you come into this room today? But whatever reason, Jesus was there for him. And it says in John 20, 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with Jesus when they came. So the disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. This is a guy who knew Jesus. But this, risen, I can't believe it. And yet eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Great. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Again, interesting, doors are locked. Disciples are all in there. They've seen the risen Jesus, but even now they still need to see the risen Jesus to unlock the doors. They're locking the doors. But he says, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Interesting, we don't know actually whether Thomas ever touched the wounds. It seems quite immediate that actually, as he said that, he suddenly goes, My Lord and my God. Just to see him was enough. But even then, Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have seen and yet have not seen and have yet believed. I mean, that's quite amazing, isn't it, as well? That blessed are those. So we cannot see Jesus. And yet God is saying, you'll be blessed if you believe. For us now here, there's a sense where we have to believe without seeing. For each of us have to step across a, a door of faith to say, I think what these guys are saying is true. Even today, that video of me, what I'm saying to you is true. I believe it. And so I want to step into this. I want to believe that you might be blessed with this relationship with Jesus. So Thomas gets his personal redemptive moment. What I love about the Bible is it seems to share most, a lot of the apostles, I love Peter's redemption, but Jesus goes after the individual and wants them. It's also really important in this moment that Thomas, to be an apostle, had to see the risen Jesus. To, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, he didn't. Just needed to believe. But as a, his role, his responsibility to God, his, what God had called him to be was to be 
an apostle, a sent one, a representative of Jesus. So he knew, Thomas, you need to see me. You need to know me. And actually God is great because he will encounter us on what we need. If you're called to big things in God, do you know what? Ask God, I may need more of you. I may need to see more of you. I may need to know more of you to do that thing. Do you know what? If you pray that prayer, God, I need you. God loves to come in. Even when your door is locked and you are hiding, you are separate, he will come in. He's faithful to that. Again, we can be, we can be a little bit hard on Thomas as well because I think whatever happened to Thomas, it's very clear that he experienced an incredible loss. This one he was with, this one that was suddenly representing hope for him, this Jesus, the one he was going to die for, died. It's no wonder he was reeling. It's no wonder he was probably finding it hard to come into the fellowship with the believers. It was no wonder he was questioning and doubting. Yeah, I mean, even in the human, we doubt. Yeah, before we knew God, before we met Jesus, we were cynics. We were all cynics. We all said, prove to me. Yeah, there was a default position for us, which is, I just don't believe God does anything. He's irrelevant to me. I'm okay on my own. As I said, I told you my bit of story, where I was like, I'm okay. The trouble is, we're not. There's a point in which we need a rest and a peace. We need a help that we can't get anywhere else other than Jesus. And, and God knows that. But, you know, Thomas was dealing with huge loss, a loss of a relationship, a friend. It might have been the closest thing to a father he had, like me, whatever it was. And he just couldn't get himself back. He just couldn't get... And like me, he was probably out there trying to find some sense of the world, trying to find his own way. And we all get to that place sometimes. Some of us in this room may be there. You think, I just, I want to know rest. I want to know peace. I want to know it's going to be okay. You know, the only one who can speak peace to you is Jesus. The only one who can say, it's okay, you're now the Father's. You're his child. You've not been left. You've not been left as an orphan. The Father in heaven who has all the resources of heaven is here for you now. You know, we live with such anxieties, don't we? We live with such worries. I mean, my kids, I talk to them about third world worries. You know, the iPhone's not charged. There's no, there's no Wi-Fi. You know, oh, anxiety, pain, strife. Let's get angry with one another. Actually, we, real, we live with deeper anxieties, actually. We need the peace of God. And Jesus is the only one that can give us. What I love about this story is just the very personal way that Jesus comes into a crowd and speaks to Thomas, knowing and having already heard his saying why he can't believe. And rather than saying, you shouldn't, he offers him the very thing he needed. It's just grace again. I mean, actually, Thomas is being a bit rude. Well, how dare you doubt Jesus? He told you, wasn't that enough? And even telling it, but actually, Jesus said, do you know what? I know your weakness. I understand your pain, your disappointment, your hurt, your anxiety. I, f- I know it all, and I'm going to bless you because I love you. And because I have a call on your life. For what we know in church history, Thomas, and this is crazy, Thomas went to India to Kerala and planted loads of churches for what we know that's crazy isn't it this guy who was so afraid ends up going to India a completely foreign land of all the disciples went to this crazy world and ends up planting loads of churches where there are temples and basilicas all around India it's bizarre like, like, the, like the Vatican it's like in India supposedly because Peter went there 
And do you know what also? He died. He died a martyr's death. And he did not question it. Why? Because he met the one who was willing to die for him. And there's all these concerns, all these wounds. In that moment of coming to Jesus' wounds, understanding his commitment to him and his commitment to the mission, that so you really would die for this mission. You went all the way. And actually, you conquered death. Then I can go all the way. And I conquer death. And what's also? He said, I will be with you. So I'm not doing it on my own anymore. I'm doing it with him. This incredible one, this hero, he's going with me. And again, that's God's promise to us. So in a moment we can know peace, but also the peace is when we walk out of that door today, whatever people, place, nation you are called to, Jesus says, peace to you now, but also I want to go with you. I want to change the world, just like Thomas. I want to give people faith, hope and love. And I want you to use you to do it. And I'm not going to stop coming to you and showing you and blessing you until you fully know the wonderful call I have on your life and the wonderful resources and equipping I'm going to give you and the wonderful Holy Spirit that will help you and give you courage to do it. For me, as I said, the best application for us when I speak this word is that, again, Jesus instituted a ritual for us, a blessing, a means of grace, we call it, where we can come every week as believers and when we hang out together in houses and over meals and we can break bread, we can take his body and remember his wounds. And we can understand when we bring our wounds to him, he can heal them. So these things I spoke, these painful times I spoke about, do you know what, I can say God's healed them, they're scars now. And I'm not ashamed to show people my scars. Because they speak of the healing wonder of Jesus. Do you know if you've got scars or if you've got wounds, God can heal them, but he also can use your scars to give hope and faith and love to those who have similar wounds. It's amazing how you have conversations sometimes. You realise, oh, you have a similar wound to me. God bumps us into people who are struggling, anxious and hurting in life, like we do. And we have an amazing message. But we can come and remember the wounds, his body given to us, broken, and the blood that poured out that said a covenant of grace, a covenant that he would never leave us. And and again, we can go through the motions on this one. But it does say in the Bible that when we come to the table, when we take the bread and we take the wine, we are meeting with Jesus in that moment. Jesus is here for us. So just as Thomas went to be with Jesus and Jesus appeared to him, Again today, we can have a moment like that with the bread and the wine. He knew we needed it. He knew we needed regularly to come to him and know his grace, his mercy and his healing and his breathing of the Holy Spirit upon us. Such a great opportunity, isn't it, to be the gathered church, to come with all our scars, all our wounds, every Sunday and come to the table and remember each other. We need this. We need this to be the people of God and be on the mission of God that he's called us to. So I'd just love to pray for us. Is that all right? And then, Lord, I thank you for this church. (laughs) I thank you for Rich and Natalia, who you called to go. They left the comfort of a big church and lovely PA and seats let out and children's work and flat in Brighton and the sun and the warmth and no snow and they left it 
to go on mission, to come and reach this city. And Lord, I thank you that there are people in this room you've also called to demonstrate your love, your hope, your joy and your peace to this city and cities beyond. And I pray right now as we worship, as we take the bread and the wine, that you will, we will encounter you again. I pray that we would be real with our wounds, with our concerns and anxieties. We would bring them to you and even bring them to one another. That we would start a process of healing. Again, we wouldn't hide behind a locked door, but we'd come through in faith to believe that there are people here who understand me and know me and want to love me where I'm at. I pray, Father, for some in this room, even if they're not, to be in small group community where they can speak out these things and share their lives and know the healing and the restoration of God and become fully alive in the mission of God. And I ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.